you. That was beautiful, just beautiful. Three generations. Daddy, daughter, granddaughter. And uh, Emma, you were awesome, girl. Yeah, good job. Yeah. I've been uh, waiting on that for some time now. And it sure brings a lot of joy to my day this morning. Amen. Open your Bibles, if you would, to uh, John chapter 19. And by the way, we have a, uh, uh, a class tonight at 5 o'clock, Discovering Gospel. And it, uh, uh, it's for people who just want more information about the church. Or it's for people who are interested in joining the church and want to find out a little bit more about that. I'll be teaching that class. It's at 5 o'clock. We've got a, uh, I don't know, a group. I don't know how many, maybe seven or so. They're already signed up. If you'd like to come to that class and you haven't signed up yet, you can, you can, um, uh, you can sign up after the service. It's out on the uh, table in front of the gym. Or you can just come at 5 o'clock. If you forget to sign up, just come. And we're going to have some extra packets of information for you so just come right on at five o'clock I always say that uh, I'm going to tell you about the church I'll tell you anything you want to know about Miss Karen so uh, come and I'll tell all her secrets uh, if you want like to come at five o'clock Karen and I are glad to be back we of course were on vacation uh, two weeks ago family vacation and then last Sunday Miss Karen was sick and so she's feeling a little better today thank you for your uh, for your prayers. Well, John chapter 19, going through the Gospel of John verse by verse, we come to chapter 19. And as you see, uh, I, not only is it the Gospel of John and a journey of faith, but this section is about the cross. And this is the cross part two. Uh, three weeks ago, we covered from verse 17 through verse 24. Today we'll cover uh, verse 25 through 30. Let's uh, read just a couple of verses here. Uh, back up to, to verse 17, and it says, And he bearing his cross went forth unto the place called the place of the skull. You may remember we talked about that place of the skull. I showed you some pictures that are of the Holy Land today. And in the Hebrew, Golgotha. Uh, where they crucified him and two others with him on either side, one and Jesus in the midst or in the middle. And then verse 24 says they gambled for his, for his clothing. And remember that's a fulfillment of prophecy of Psalm 22. That's where we end it. So this is where we pick it up, verse 25. Now there stood by the cross of Jesus his mother and his mother's sister. Mary, the wife of Cleophas, and Mary Magdalene. These women, Mary Magdalene being one. In the video, I'll show at the close, uh, the two more prominent women you'll see is uh, Mary, his mother, and Mary Magdalene. Mary Magdalene was one of his followers. He had cast seven demons out of her, and uh, she loved Christ with all of her heart and followed him faithfully, and she was right here uh, at the cross. Pray with me, please. Father, thank you for our time together today. Make it profitable for each of us, and uh, we ask your blessings upon your word. This is 
certainly holy ground when we think about the cross, the great pinnacle of, of humanity, the great pinnacle of human history, the cross and the resurrection. We come to it, this section, with humility, yielding to your Lordship. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. So we're talking about the cross. Part two. Um, in June of 1968, bulldozers were working north of Jerusalem and they accidentally uncovered some ancient tombs. And uh, these tombs were from the first century. They were actually from the time of Christ and the Israeli Department of Antiquities took the charge of the excavation and the archaeological find and uh, they uh, put a man in charge by the name of Tepharis and uh, he they did their work and but the the great significant find was they found the bones of a man who had been crucified and it gave some scientific insight into crucifixion uh, it was just one nail in the heel of one foot and so uh, they did all kinds of dating of course and all the things they do and um, and they concluded, the experts concluded that this man uh, was about 24 to 28 years old. He was crucified right during the time of Christ. He was an average height man. And uh, this nail in the side of his foot made them come to the conclusion that the legs were bent and his feet were laying sideways on the front of the cross and the and nailed to the cross. Here is a, a drawing of what they concluded. Because the nail went through the side of the foot instead of the top of the foot, as is often pictured, you know, the two feet together and nail going through, they, they concluded that this, uh, this was the position that this man was in. But then in 1980, some, uh, some other scientists and archaeologists and scholars, they examined the same evidence. And uh, they came up with a different conclusion. In 1980s, their conclusion was that the nail went in the side of the foot like this. And, uh, and so the feet would have been on the outside edges uh, planes of the cross. Uh, you, you see the one on the right, that's the actual heel and the nail, and then the drawing on the left, or the uh, uh, example for us on the left. Now the wood on the outside was a, there was microscopic traces of that wood on the outside of the foot. On the inside of the foot would have been the cross. And uh, the microscopic uh, uh, bits of the of that uh, cross was uh, of olive wood and the wood on the outside was a different kind of wood it was used like we would say a, a washer 
uh, we use metal washers to keep a screw or a nail from pulling through something and this wood on the outside would have been like a washer to keep the nail from pulling through. Now one reason this second group of scholars came to this conclusion was because they said the nail wasn't long enough to go through both feet and secure it into the cross. And so they felt like in this case his feet were on the outside planes of the cross. Now in the video we'll see at the end that's the way they depicted uh, the cross. We'll see that the three men, Jesus and the others, of course, the actors, were, uh, they were portrayed as the nails going in uh, the side. Now, I'm not saying that to suggest that this was right necessarily for, for Jesus, but there is a purpose in me telling it. That is, there was a great variety of shapes of crosses and variations of details. Crucifixion was used as a punishment and as an execution for about a thousand years. So you can imagine how that developed and changed and, and uh, it was used on thousands upon thousands of people in different locations. 600 years of that was the Roman Empire and all through the Roman Empire this form of execution was used not only for criminals but also for uh, people in uh, wartime. And uh, Seneca, the, the uh, philosopher, Roman philosopher wrote 40 AD. Now remember that would be about seven years after the time of Christ. He wrote that there was a great variety in the crosses. And now I'm quoting, he said, I see crosses there, not just one kind, but made in many different ways. Some have their victims with their head down to the ground, others stretch out their arms, end of quote. So there's a, there was a big variety of crosses. Here's a few. There was the Latin cross, which is the cross that we normally think of. And then there's the T cross, which is shaped like a capital T. And then the Greek cross. And then uh, uh, Andrew's, St. Andrew's cross. All of these forms of cross were, were used during that period of time. There was also a pole that was just a straight pole that was used. And if you come across this online and somebody acts like the pole is the sure thing, then it would, it would uh, no doubt be Jehovah's Witnesses because they seem to think they're the only ones that ever look back in history and uh, they think no one else knows but that Jesus was really crucified on a pole. Actually, the use of the pole came earlier before the... Uh, cross evolved and the cross evolved by the time of Christ so during the time of Christ the two crosses that were used most of the time were uh, the two there on the right the uh, Latin cross and the uh, uh, and the T cross so probably one of these two now I have another quote here that is uh, is interesting. This is uh, both 
both Irenaeus and Justin Martyr were writers and historians about the time of Christ. And they both describe the cross of Jesus as having five extremities and not four. So people have speculated what those extremities are. Well, if you're looking at this cross, the T cross has three ex extremities. The Latin cross has four. They said Jesus' cross had five. What would the fifth extremity be? Well, possibly it would be something that was called a seat or a saddle and it would and now this this saddle was not for the purpose of giving comfort or showing mercy there was nothing merciful about the cross that little seat there was something that they could barely set on the edge it was like a two before nailed up against the cross and it simply prolonged the agony of death so it could have been that this fifth uh, extremity was a seat it could have been that it was a pedestal sticking out for the feet to stand on again this was not merciful this was this would prolong the agony of the cross but either way if you have five extremities as the historian said Jesus cross had then you, you end up with what, we, what is called the Latin cross, or the cross like we have out in the lobby and behind the screen here, uh, and with either a footpiece on it or a seat on it. And so that gives you some insight into what the cross may have looked like. And if you look online, you'll see all kinds of discussions and arguments. And a lot of people, you know how they are, they, they think they're the only ones that... Uh, I've ever looked at uh, these facts but when you look at it all across the board all the scholars there's all these different variations the cross was used for punishment like I said for a thousand years 600 with Rome Alexander for, for, instance, for example Alexander when he conquered the city of Tyre he crucified 2,000 people in a short period of time. The Romans, when they defeated Spartacus and his soldiers, they crucified 6,000. A 6,000 people along a road. That's what you're looking at on the screen. Along a road that stretched 120 miles. And horse, historians tell us that you would walk about 100 feet. And this was the main route for business. So this went on for uh, days, people walking that route and seeing those 6,000 people crucified. Of course, of course, you know the reason for that. Rome is saying, this, what, this is what happens when you raise up against our authority. And so they were left on the crosses for that reason. This is from the, a movie, Spartacus, and uh, it's just a scene that they depicted. By the way, uh, you, you may be able to see that uh, uh, they used mainly the T-cross in their uh, depiction of this. 
And it's also a high cross. I didn't mention this yet, but there were low crosses, high crosses. The low crosses, the feet of the criminal would only be about two or three feet off the ground. But the high cross, uh, the feet of the victim would be maybe eight feet, six, six feet, eight feet off the ground. And that's the, that's the high cross that you're looking at here. And then not only that, when Titus conquered Jerusalem in 70 AD, which, of course, Jesus prophesied would happen, they, Titus and his Roman men, they crucified, according to the great historian Josephus, they crucified 500 people a day for months. And this is a drawing of, of the, that crucifixion. Here is a scene from the movie, The Passion of, of the Christ. And you can see this is a tall cross. His feet's about head high, about six feet, something like that. The, the video clip I will show you today is the, is the PG-13 version. Matter of fact, the Gospel of John is rated PG-13. So what I'll show you is the PG-13 version. What the Passion would show you would be the R-rated version because it, is, it depicts the suffering of Christ in a very realistic way, in a way that's very difficult to watch and very difficult to see. I have two, two quick scenes uh, from that that shows, the again, the extreme torture and suffering that Jesus went through. Here's one. Again, the Latin cross in this scene. And again, Jesus in his suffering. And so the cross. I want us to think about this morning. Oh, here's another. I put this in here to remind me that there was also variations in how the person was actually crucified. Here's a picture of a ladder on the backside of a cross and some soldiers up the ladder and they're pulling the victim up with a rope. And uh, you'll see in the video we watched today that Jesus carried his cross to Golgotha. Uh, but in our video, he didn't carry the whole cross. He just carried the cross beam. Now, most scholars feel like that's probably what happened because the cross itself, uh, both pieces of it, could weigh as much as 300 pounds. And uh, it would be almost impossible to carry for the average person. The cross piece would weigh 75 to 100 pounds, so they, most scholars today feel like Jesus probably carried the cross beam. It's depicted in the Passion of the Christ. He's carrying the entire cross. Uh, of course, crosses were, had different thicknesses and weight of the wood. If the wood was smaller, if it was a, you know, six by fours, uh, maybe the whole cross could have been carried. If it was eight by eight, uh, of course, it would be too heavy and so forth. And so there's variation in that. And then variation of how you get the person on the cross. Here's one possibility. The other possibility is... The person is tied to that crossbeam, and uh, maybe somebody with a ladder and a rope, as is shown here, 
they pull up the cross beam to put it in place and the person is pulled up at the same time. And also in that scene, you would have some other soldiers using something that might look like a wooden pitchfork and they would get on each side of that cross beam and they would push it up while they were pulling the rope, they would push up on both sides because you're lifting the cross beam and the person at the same time and got it into place. Another way the cross would be lifted is that the cross would be on the ground. The upright piece would be on the ground. When the criminal got there, they would uh, nail the cross piece on the cross, still on the ground, and they would nail the person on the cross and then stand the cross up. And there would be a hole dug, and when the, when the cross uh, fell into that hole, historians tell us when this method was used, it often pulled the shoulder bones out of joint because the person was so weak and so forth that it would, and it would hit the bottom of the ground, it would jolt and pull those shoulder bones out of joint. That could have been what happened to Jesus because he said in Psalm 22, and in verse 14, my bones are out of joint. So my speculation is that they used the method of nailing Jesus on the cross while he was on the ground. And then they stood that cross up. The soldiers would get behind it and stand it up. And people would have ropes pulling to the outside. And then it would fall into the ground and hit and jar. <clears throat> And so there was various ways to do that as, as well. Now I want you to think with me about the suffering of Christ. Now I mentioned the nails. Not everybody who was crucified actually had nails. Sometimes they were, their arms and legs were tied to the cross. Again, that is not a mercy. It just prolonged the torture and agony. Some people lived for... for um, for days on the cross and some people lived if they had the ropes on some people just lived until they till they thirst to death or starved to death most of the time when people died they died of asphyxiation they suffocated because when you're hanging with all your weight on your arms it cuts your circulation off and you can't breathe and so people on the cross would have to put all of their weight on their feet that had nails in them and lift up enough to get a breath and then when they couldn't stand the agony on their feet they would drop back down on their weight on their hands I've got quotes in front of me but I don't want to take the time now I'm watching the clock where first century people scholars spoke about the horrendous uh, scene of the cross and what a torture it was. By the way, you know, our word excruciating, that word means of the cross. It's where we get our word excruciating, of the cross. So I want us to think about this suffering of Christ. Now, there's three ways in which Christ suffered. He suffered physically, he suffered emotionally, and he suffered spiritually. I want to think about the physical suffering of Christ now for just a couple of minutes and try to put it together a little bit for us. Jesus was scourged, of course. You remember we talked about that a few weeks ago. And that scourging was not just a light whipping. 
it was done with something that was like a cat of nine tails. Maybe it had three straps or five straps and it had sharpened pieces of bone that was sharp as a knife on the end. And they would make great lacerations on the people who were being scourged. So much so that they would pull the skin away from the bones and sometimes a prisoner could look at his bones in his ribs. And, and we know that happened to Jesus because in... Uh, Psalm 22 and verse 17, he says, My bones, they stare at me. Jesus could look down and see his bones. The scourging had been so horrific. They would scourge. They, uh, soldiers made a sport out of it. Who could, who could swing the whip the longest? Who could tear off the most amount of flesh? And so forth. And he was, of course beaten even before the scourging. Look back at your screen for a moment. Even before the cross, he was slapped before Annas. He was spit upon and beaten before uh, Caiaphas in the council. Pilate had him scourged and the soldiers beat him. And then again, before they led him to Calvary, the soldiers mocked him and beat him with, with their fist and with a rod. They beat him again. And then he goes out to Calvary carrying his cross. And you remember... Uh, uh, Sir, um, Simon, the man from Sereni, uh, helped him carry his cross because he collapsed under the load. I don't have time to tell this, but I'll tell it anyway. Years ago, I was preaching up in the mountains of Tennessee. I, I did that quite often when I was a young preacher. I, was, I grew up in Tennessee. And... Uh, uh, and word got around and, and uh, people would call me and want me to come fill in if the pastor was sick or if he was out of town on vacation and things like that. And a lot of those little, little churches uh, way up in the mountains of Tennessee. I remember one of them, the only bathroom they had was an outhouse. I don't mean a bathroom that was dislocated from the church, though it was dislocated from the church. I mean a real outhouse. That's all they had. And uh, I preached in one place where some guys at the, at the front of the church told me that they had gone bear hunting right there in front of the church. And they'd seen a few. I think, if I remember correctly, somebody had shot one right there in front of the church. But I was at another small church, and I, I, and I preached on the cross that day. And after the service, a very sincere and well-meaning man said to me that... Uh, that his Jesus would have never fallen under the weight of the cross. And that he was, he was, you could tell, somewhat put out with me and angry at me for depicting Christ with a weakness that he couldn't carry his own cross. But I respected his, his enthusiasm. I simply agreed that Jesus was the creator and God who'd come in the flesh. And then I gave him the reference where he could check out where Simon was compelled to carry the cross. That doesn't take away from his deity. In his deity, he spoke the world into existence. But in his humanity, he felt every strap of that whip on his back. In his humanity... He was pushed to the point of total exhaustion and great blood loss from that whipping 
so that he could not carry the cross all the way. Then they took him to Golgotha and they nailed him to the cross. I picture it this way in my mind for the very reasons I spoke to you. I picture it as being a, as a, um, uh, a uh, Latin cross. He carried the cross beam. They put the cross beam across, fastened it while it was on the ground to the upright section of the cross. And then they nailed Jesus to the cross. Usually when they nailed someone to the cross, you could hear them screaming from miles around. But when they reached to get Jesus' hands, usually the, the criminal would fight and, and hold off as long as he could. But Jesus, I picture him laying out his hands willingly because he was doing this for you and for me because he loved us. He subjected himself to this great suffering, this great torture. And of course, the nail in the hands would not have been in the palms because the weight, the weight of your body would have pulled it out through the fingers, but the, it would have been through the wrist, between the two wrist bones, and so that the bone in the hand would keep it from pulling out. Can you imagine the pain of that? A six or eight inch spike driven through your wrist. And then his feet, whether on the sides or in the front, we don't know. His feet were nailed to the cross. We do know they nailed his hands and feet because, again, Jesus said in prophetic utterance, uh, they have, uh, uh, they've, they've pierced my hands and my feet. And then they would have stood up the cross and the cross would have fallen into that hole and when he hit the bottom of that hole all of his weight jerked on his hands that were nailed to the cross and it apparently jerked his shoulders out of joint so he was there with his shoulders out of joint which would have made the problem of breathing even worse for six hours he hung on the cross and in order to get a breath to speak those seven sayings that he spoke from the cross he would have to push up and put all of his weight on his feet and get enough breath to speak and then when the pain was unbearable he would drop back down and hang from the, his wrist the sun was out for the first three hours but the last three hours was darkness across the land it's as though the sun refused to shine because the Creator was dying but he was dying for us the seven sayings of the cross of course when they I think when they lifted the cross up and it hit the bottom and it jerked his shoulder bones out of joint I think that's where he said father forgive them for they know not what they do he prayed for the very people who nailed him to the cross. And I think one day, because of that prayer, I think one day you and I in heaven will meet the people who nailed Jesus to the cross. Somewhere in their lifetime after what happened, I believe they came to Christ and will be in heaven one day because Jesus prayed for their forgiveness. And then remember the one, one of the criminals on one side said to Jesus, Remember me, Lord, when thou comest into thy kingdom. And Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. 
in heaven. That's the second saying. The third saying is recorded for us here where Jesus says to his mother, Behold your son. He's not referring to himself. He says, Behold your son, referring to John. And then he says to John, John, behold your mother. That's the first three sayings. And then the darkness came. And then somewhere in that darkness he cries out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The words are also recorded in Psalm 22 and in verse 3 it says, Because thou art holy. God, the Father, is holy. And he couldn't look upon the sin that was our sin, my sin, your sin that was piled on Christ while he was on that cross. And for the only time, first time and only time in all eternity, the Father and the Son broke fellowship. I'm going to talk about that more next week. And then the fifth cry was, I thirst. Still in the darkness. And the sixth cry was, it is finished. And the seventh cry was, Father, into thy hands I commit my spirit. And then he died. All the while, hanging on the cross, raising up to get a breath and sinking back down. He did that for me and for you. Wow, what a Savior. Amen? How thankful we should be. Amen? We should be thankful for the cross and what, for what Jesus did for us. It ought to move us and motivate us and compel us. Now, come back to our text, and let's look at these verses just quickly. Look at verse 25. He speaks of these four ladies. What a contrast these four ladies were to the four soldiers who were gambling and separating his clothes among them. Verse 26, And when Jesus therefore saw his mother and the disciples standing by whom he loved, that was John, he said unto his mother, Woman, behold thy son. Then said he unto the disciple, Behold thy mother. And from that hour the disciple took her unto his own home. Tradition says that she lived with him until she died. And uh, she, she went on his mission journeys and, and ended up in Ephesus. Now this is according to tradition. You don't know for sure this is true. And she died there and he took care of her. Now Jesus did have some brothers and sisters, remember, but at this point in time they were not believers. So he committed her care to the Apostle John. This was the third cry. So Jesus didn't mention the first, I mean, John didn't mention the first cry or the second cry. He tells about this third cry. And by the way, remember, he writes 30 years later. And, uh, uh, and the other two have already been told. But this third cry had not been told. He wanted to be sure people understood this third cry from the cross. And then it says in verse 28, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that he had completed his, his sacrifice for sin, and that the scripture might be filled, said, I thirst. Here's the, um, uh, the fifth cry from the cross. Now there was set a vessel full of vinegar, and they filled a sponge with vinegar and put it, upon hyssop 
and put it to his mouth. When Jesus, therefore, had received the vinegar, he said, It is finished. That's really one word, finished. It means paid in full. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost, or the spirit. He gave up his spirit. He yielded his spirit. Again, that's the sixth cry from the cross. Luke tells us, he also said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. But Luke had already told that, but nobody had told that it is finished. And nobody had told about John and his mother. So John tells these things that the other, the other gospel writers had not told. And he bowed his head. Remember, he said, no man takes my life from me. I have power to lay it down and take it up again. He dismissed his spirit. It was an act of his own will. After all the torture of the cross, he yielded his spirit. Let's watch this video. I, I, I cut it back so you see a little bit of the scourging. Now, the scourging is definitely PG-13. It would have been horrendous to have really seen. Again, if you want to see a more accurate depiction of the real suffering, the passion of the Christ is the best I've ever seen. Of course, the, word, the, the people are speaking Aramaic, so you have to read everything at the bottom of the screen. I think there's probably some versions now that have dubbed in English, so the wording, you know, wouldn't be exactly with the lips. But it may be worth looking at. This is the PG version going back to the scourging and then the cross, picking up two, three weeks ago. I didn't uh, show the video, so this picks it all up. It's about five minutes. Let's watch it together. Then Pilate took Jesus and had him whipped. The soldiers made a crown out of thorny branches and put it on his head. Then they put a purple robe on him and came to him and said, Long live the king of the Jews. And they went up and slapped him. They took charge of Jesus. He went out carrying his cross and came to the place of the skull, as it is called. In Hebrew, it is called Golgotha. There they crucified him. And they also crucified two other men, one on each side, with Jesus between them. Pilate wrote a notice and had it put on the cross. Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews, is what he wrote.
Many people read it because the place where Jesus was crucified was not far from the city. The notice was written in Hebrew, Latin, and Greek. The chief priest said to Pilate, do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. What I have written stays written. After the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his clothes and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier. They also took the robe, which was made of one piece of woven cloth without any seams in it. The soldiers said to one another, let's not tear it. Let's throw dice to see who will get it. This happened in order to make the scripture come true. They divided my clothes among themselves and gambled for my robe. And this is what the soldiers did. Standing close to Jesus' cross were his mother, his mother's sister, Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. Jesus saw his mother and the disciple he loved standing there. He is your son. Then he said to the disciple, She is your mother. From that time, the disciple took her to live in his home. Jesus knew that by now, everything had been completed. And in order to make the scripture come true, he said, I am thirsty. A bowl was there, full of cheap wine. So a sponge was soaked in the wine, put on a stalk of hyssop, and lifted up to his lips. Jesus drank the wine. It is finished. Then he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Philip Bliss wrote, Lifted up was he to die. It is, it is finished was his cry. Now in heaven exalted high. Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. Hallelujah. Bow with me please. If you're here to, today and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior, I encourage you to do so before it's too late. He loved you that much. He died for you on the cross. If you'd like to come this morning and receive Christ as your Savior, we want to give you a chance to do that. Somebody will pray with you and answer your questions. Stand with me, please, now. 
Let's sing the words to this song. And if you'd like to come for prayer, whatever the reason, for salvation or just for prayer, you come as we sing. Have I no Thank you so much. And all God's people said, Amen. Hallelujah. What a Savior. Father, thank you for giving your Son on the cross for old sinners like us. We don't deserve it, but we give you praise for it. And we say, along with Philip Bliss, Hallelujah. What a Savior. Thank you, Lord Jesus. May it move us to love you more and serve you better. I pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated, Pastor Jason.